Good evening, church. Tonight is April 17th, 2019. The title of tonight's sermon is Piercing Promises. This past Sunday, Pastor Matt, Pastor Eric, and I presented a sermon entitled Out of Reach. The truth is I'm still contemplating and ruminating on the concept on on which side of judgment we're on. Are we under the terrifying judgment or have we allowed the supernatural love of Christ to take us as sons and daughters and place us on eagle's wings so that we might soar above the judgment? Man, have you been soaring on eagle's wings this week? Yeah, see, that was quiet. That's exactly what... (laughs) That was really, really quiet. That was really kind of telling, actually, in that response. Have you been soaring on eagle's wings? I don't want you to shout out if you haven't been. But can you feel in the room that uh, the Lord needs to do some work on our hearts tonight? Did you hear from the words? I'm gonna, I tried to scribble them down furiously. I'm sure that I missed some of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back over those in just a second. But this idea of being on top of judgment, on eagle's wings being carried to his very presence, has been permeating my thoughts. I'm thinking of each person as I pass them on the street, in the store, in a restaurant, driving to and fro, and actually, it can kind of be a little bit disheartening, truthfully, to tell you. To see so many that are under the terrifying judgment of God. We went to, I went to lunch with Pastor Matt today. And within a very, very short amount of time, maybe about 20 minutes, we saw multiple people that I wasn't quite sure if I was looking at a man or a woman. Multiple. I went, wow. We're blurring lines here. We're, people, we're seeing people under judgment of God. Now, as a son, one who is on his wings... I can see the true condition of their hearts. I can see the condition of their lives. And I can completely understand this passage came into my mind. Turn with me to Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 33. Now, I need you to stay with me tonight. This is a Wednesday night. Sometimes on Wednesday night, we're a little flat. We're a little uh, muted as we come in. What I need you to do is listen to what the Lord is going to present to you tonight. The, the truth is, is uh, I actually, this is the first time in 2019 that I've preached by myself. I love my church. I love the fact that it's April 17th and it's the first time that as your pastor I've spoken by myself to you and not with other men. What a fun church we are. See, so I'm counting on the fact I need the Lord to help me because I'm used to, I, I love leaning on my brothers. I love leaning on the men in this church and going, man, we can do this together. So I need your help tonight. I may be one with a microphone, but I'm going to need your help. We're going to need to do this together. See, the word of the Lord came forth and continued to come forth to us during worship time. And the Lord is trying to help us get where we need to get tonight. I was rem- reminded of Job chapter 9 and verse 33. It says this. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand on us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would not frighten me. Isn't this Job really crying out to be placed on top of eagle's wings? This is Job's version of this. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. You know, as I'm just sitting here thinking on this on this passage, God, Lee, this church, you know this passage. You knew when I mentioned Job 9, most people in the room understood where I was going when I said Job 9. Correct? You know that. But see, this is not just a scripture that we're going to do for today. Then I would speak up without fear of him. 
But as it now stands with me, I cannot. See, that's one thing if we leave this with Job. If we leave this somewhere in the distant past of him being afraid of what he could speak with God about because of the condition of his own heart. What about us tonight? I know that there are men and women in this room that would like to speak up without fear of God, but you can't. As it stands now with you, you're not able to do that. I hope that the liberating power of Christ comes in here tonight and overwhelms us in every way. The difference here is that Job was not just seeing the condition of all of fallen mankind. He was examining his own condition and those of his dearest friends. The realization for the need to have an arbitrator. Someone who can just help us out. Have you ever just needed and wished there was somebody, like anybody? Would anybody stop and help me? I was about to put Olivia on a plane one time. First time as a parent that I was letting Olivia fly by herself. This was a year plus ago. I'm about to put her on the plane. The entire flight is canceled. I'm like, Lord, this ain't funny. I will take her home right this second. I was barely holding it together to put her on a plane. I was reminded of this story because of, uh, of, of the P-Rose this morning. And there was a woman that they had to reroute everybody on the plane. To, all over the country, what was a two and a half hour direct flight became three legs going from D.C. to Minnesota, back to where they were going. I'm like, Lord, this, this ain't funny. <laughs> this is my princess. This is my baby girl. While we're in the line as they're rerouting people, this woman faints. Out. Falls through the little tents of barrier things. It's laying over. She's laying all awkward on her luggage. I mean, she was out. Everyone else around her was like, No one, no one helped her. So I ran over to her, helped, began to help that process. I was like, I got, I got more mad as time went on. In the moment, I just responded and ran towards what was going on and tried to help. And then as, as, uh, as time went on, I was like, wait a minute. What would that have been my daughter? You, I would have fought all of you people. Everybody in line would have, had a, would have had a piece of my mind because of not helping someone who was in need. Man, that idea of needing help and not getting it is something that is, uh, it's a special thing about human beings. Man, I love what Job is saying here. He's crying out for a Messiah. He's crying out for help. The fact that he's crying out shows that eternity has, in fact, been set in the hearts of man, just like Ecclesiastes tells us. We can see it in the faith of the patriarchs. We can see it in the prophets who gave their lives for the gospel. We can even see it in people like Rahab, who without a sermon was converted. Come on now. That's, that's pretty impressive. We have an internal need for this Messiah, this Savior, this one who can come in and help us. Today is the actual day on the calendar in which Christ would have been crucified. It's Wednesday evening. Now, if you haven't been here enough for us, for that to make sense to you, Many of you have heard our teachings on this subject, but if you haven't and you want to hear more about it, the reasons that we can say with confidence that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday and placed in the tomb prior to nightfall. I invite you to listen to a sermon from March of 2013 called Three Days and Three Nights. Everybody say three days days. and three three nights. 
It explains why the crucifixion would have taken place today. Everybody say today. Today. On a Wednesday. I know we want to celebrate Good Friday here in a couple of days. But the crucifixion had to have taken place on a Wednesday. And he would have had to have been put in the tomb before nightfall. Look, the Jewish day begins, as you guys know, in the evening. Genesis 1, 5 says, And there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, as Americans, we do this different. We say it starts in the middle of our night. We picked a random number. We said 12 o'clock. That's when the day starts. (laughs) The Jews who are so much smarter than we are started in the evening as the sun goes down. Why? Because in our lives, aren't we always moving from darkness towards light? That's the direction that we're supposed to be heading even in our days. What an interesting thought. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. There's no way that he could be crucified on Friday afternoon and you make it to Sunday morning and that be three days and three nights. There's no way to do it. Many of you know that. There are some newer folks to the church I'm kind of going quickly through this because I don't want us to lose the momentum of the direction that we're heading. Wednesday evening, he's put in the in the tomb. Wednesday to Thursday evening, that's day one. Thursday evening to Friday evening, that's day two. Friday evening to Saturday evening, that's day three. And he is risen. Come on now, he is risen before daylight on Sunday morning. Put up, uh, Megan, put up John chapter 20. And verse 1 on the screen. It says this. Early on the first day of the week. Somebody say first day. day. Man, that's Sunday. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. See, you're going to get an incredible sermon on Sunday. It is Resurrection Sunday. Come on. the, the, The most important day in human history is coming up on Sunday. A day that we get to celebrate the risen Savior, the hope of Christianity, the thing that gives us the power that we need. See, but today, today is the day He was crucified. Today is the day that He was there. I want to I try to recap just for a moment a few of the words that were given in our worship time this evening. And you'll have to excuse me because these were my shorthanded notes of trying to get the ideas down. A prophecy came forth that said, my blood is not just for yesterday, but it's for today. Somebody say today. Today. That you're supposed to grab hold of his blood. That his blood is for now and how much we need the blood of Christ. Another word that came forth said that, that that the Lord sees those who are faithful and those who are called here in this place. But he compared us to a dusty Golden utensil or golden plate that was on a table. I will wipe away the dust from them. That the Lord would distinguish between the pure and the impure, the arrogant and the broken. And that some would fade as grass, but others would be pure utensils before the Lord. Another word that came forth was that the Lord has both reward and recompense in his hands but that He is able to lead His sheep. He can weed out those who don't belong, but He is able to lead you this, in this place today. 
We're supposed to look up. We're supposed to raise our eyes up to the shepherd because our shepherd is calling us. The fact that when you add those words and you combine it with the fact that today would have been the day that he would have been crucified on the cross. I can't help but hear these words coming from him. I can't help put myself there at the foot of the cross and be thinking that these are his words to us today. To lift up our eyes, to taste of the kingdom that is to come. See, when I asked you earlier, are you soaring on eagle's wings this week? And it got really, really quiet. I know that we need this piercing and powerful promise that Jesus Christ has given us. I know that this is what we need tonight. The topic of the crucifixion has had endless sermons preached, endless books written, and endless theologians expound upon the magnificent and magnanimous nature of the moment. For the believer, I mean for you here this place tonight, for LCM. See, we're family. We get the benefit of this being family time. If you're rowdy and raucous, it's okay because we're family. If you're quiet and pensive, that's okay because we're family. What are we supposed to focus our hearts on tonight? This evening, in light of what he accomplished on the cross, I want to direct your attention to a singular concept right now. The rest of the sermon is going to be about this singular concept. You ready for it? See, this is the teacher in me, Miss Natalie. I, I got to tell you what I'm about to tell you, and then I'm going to tell it to you, and then I'm going to tell you what I just told you. I mean, that's teaching, really. See, you get a pastor, Eric, who has these just deep sewed bombs, and he's, he, he releases it on you like, oh, how did he do that? Some of you guys in the room, you keep it, you keep the uh, revelation, you kind of hide it, you, you keep it under wraps, and the presentation is, God, I love the way you guys do that. I'm like, man, see, I'm a teacher. It's part of what I am. It's not all that I am, but it's part of what I am. See, I just want to make sure that you get it from the beginning. I want to make sure that as we're going along, you're getting it. Because if you're slow like me, sometimes you're like, oh, he's been talking about it the whole time. I didn't get it. See, I don't want you to wait till the last three minutes of the sermon and be like, yes, now I understand. I want you to get it as we're going along. Is that okay? Is it okay that I pastor you tonight like this? I want to direct you to the singular concept that the penalty that should have fallen on you, it fell on him. What is this day that we're remembering him dying on the cross? What is that for? The penalty that should have fallen on you. The penalty that should have fallen on me, it fell on him. That singular concept is where we're going to go. It's where we're going to stay. It's what we're going to revolve around. Because you need to decide what you're going to do with that revelation. That the penalty that should have fallen on us, on you and on me, it fell on him. And that was the design of our great father. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. You might as well just put a marker here in Isaiah 53 tonight because we're going to bounce around. We're going to go a lot of places, but we're going to kind of keep coming back to Isaiah 53 for a while. How could you not spend a little time in Isaiah 53 on a day like today? Let's look at verse four. Are you guys there with me? Surely he took our infirmities. Carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. What does it mean that he took 
our infirmities. Those things that were upon us that were rightly should have been ours. He said, I'll take it. I'm going to take it from them. I will take up their infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Does anybody in the room know what it's like to carry sorrow? Carrying sorrow, either by your own foolish choices or by the lot that was assigned to you. Carrying sorrow. But see, we're not designed to carry sorrow very well. That should have gotten a better amen. You and I are not designed to carry sorrow very well. It makes us weird very, very quickly. Instead of rejoicing in the presence of God, what do you do? You're sullen. Your face is downcast. You can't feel you. It feels like there's a million pounds that you're trying to lift just to get your hands to go to the heavens. But see, we have someone who took the penalty that should have been on us and he took it upon himself. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Look at verse 5. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. You See, you guys, you know this Scripture, don't you? This is not new to anyone in the room. By His wounds, we are healed. Do you hear it? What was He pierced for? He was pierced for our transgressions. Come on, say it with me. Say our. He was pierced for our transgressions. What was he crushed for? For my iniquities. For your iniquities. For our iniquities. His punishment brings us peace. We lose the fact of this because you think you already know it. His wounds bring us healing. So how are you supposed to consider this tonight? Are you totally fine as long as you have the peace available? Are you okay with this thought that he took what upon himself, what was supposed to be ours, as long as you've got the healing available when you need it? You see, there's something that has to be made alive in us today. This should bring both reward and recompense to our hearts. It should bring both. Because if he did this, he took and bore our He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. When we deserved punishment, He took it upon Himself so that we might have peace. Look in Hebrews chapter... Hold your place here and look in Hebrews chapter 10 just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 5. Hebrews 10, 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. You know what the, uh, the verse that he's quoting from is out of Psalm chapter 40. You know what it says in Psalm 40? It says, my ears you have pierced. Man, what a beautiful thing. This, this piercing of his body that was prepared in advance for him to do this. He intentionally came And took the penalty that should have fallen on you and me and put it on himself. 
Let's go back. Uh, I'm sorry. Verse six with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. O God. Back to Isaiah. And we're going to look at verse six. Acts back to Isaiah 53. And let's look at verse six. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a, what a shockingly powerful scripture. We all have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Anybody know what it's like to turn to your own way? How ridiculous that is. Now let's just take just for a moment that we don't make this about before you were saved and after you were saved. What if we take this about this week in your life? This month, this year in your life? We all like sheep have gone astray. When we should be holding to the faith and the power of God, our knees get weak and we tremble. When we should have confidence that the Lord God is with us and that He has spoken, we get fearful. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And you know what that did? That put Jesus Christ in the position where the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. See, the penalty that should have fallen on you and the penalty that should have fallen on me, it fell on him. That the Lord in such power, he laid on the Christ the iniquity of us all. Wow. We all are the ones that are going astray. Each of us turning to his own way. Look at the verse, looking, continue on in verse 10. It gets even more clear. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Wow. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Look at the first phrases there. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. How is this fair? Don't we often fight for what's fair? If somebody says something to you that you feel like you don't deserve. Isn't that one of the quickest ways to get us all to get angry? I I can't believe that they did that. I can't believe they said that. I'm going to now think about it for the next eight hours. Why? Because it's such an unfair practice. Yeah, how really small is that when you can... Consider that with what the Christ, with what Christ took for us. Of course, it's not fair. Do you see why as a church, it's such an insult for us to preach a greasy grace? Keep your place here in Isaiah. Turn with me back to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews 10 and verse 26. I want to get to a specific point here before we make a turn. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. You guys there with me tonight? If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Boy, that sounds so harsh, doesn't it? That, that sounds just crushing, doesn't it? There's no sacrifice for sin left. Why? Because he didn't deserve the punishment, but he took it upon himself. What we... What we deserved, what should have been coming to us, it was laid upon him. The penalty that should have been ours, he took upon himself. 
Do you see why that makes it such an incredibly damnable thing for us to continue doing what we're doing as if he hadn't made that kind of a sacrifice? Are you with me, church? If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Next verse. Yeah, who can stop the Lord Almighty? That's true. But only a fearful expectation of judgment. See, we're back to where we are on Sunday, aren't we? We're on the wrong side of his eagle's wings. We're on the underneath side where the judgment is. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Look at verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Now, we're going to make a turn here in just a second. But there are men and women in this room that need to understand this principle right here. That if we continue to do and act as if He hasn't already won the victory for us, if we continue to muddle around in our own sin, if we continue to do what we want to do, pretending like we're doing what He wants us to do, it is a mockery of what He actually did for us. That what we deserved, He's already taken the penalty. Do you know why there's no sacrifice for sin left? Because He's already taken the penalty on Himself. Do you want Him to do it again? What we have to do is understand that the penalty that should have fallen on you, that the penalty that should have fallen on me, was already taken. He put it upon Himself so that we might have victory. God, this is the best church that I've ever been a part of. And there are still people sitting in the room with hard hearts. There are still people sitting in the room with an arrogance to think that you can ignore what he did when he did it on the cross and we can still be okay. Verse 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot? How in the world are you going to trample the son of God underfoot? You're going to the next phrase helps us who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. Okay. I'm, we're just going to leave this on the screen for a second. Stay with me. Trample the son of God underfoot. How do you trample the son of God underfoot? When you treat as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified you. To continue to walk in your own desires. To continue to walk in your own sin. To continue to walk in rebellion and arrogance as the prophecies that came forth. To not hold on to the blood of Christ and pretend like everything is okay is a version of trampling the Son of God underfoot because you're treating it as unholy, the great sacrifice that He made for you. And who has insulted the Spirit of grace? There's a reason we call it greasy grace. Because when you're acting this way, you're not actually receiving God's grace. You are, in fact, insulting God's grace.
Let's look at Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, and let's look at verse 39. Let's see an example of this. Luke 23 and verse 39. Are you there? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, I don't think there's anybody in the room who would intentionally say this, realizing that this is what one of the thieves on the cross had said, one of the criminals on the cross. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. I'm not really going to change what I'm doing. Why don't you just come and save me anyway? Church, I, I'm hearing prophecies that are, that, are, that are now not just a singular service, but over the course of time. And it's talking about things like weeding out. It's talking about things like separating sheep and goat. It is my greatest desire that every single person in this room and every single person that faithfully attends our church will be counted among the sheep and go on to a glorious inheritance in Christ. But we can't have the same attitude that the criminals on the cross have. But look at the other. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see, the penalty that should have fallen on us, the penalty that should have fallen on you and me, it fell upon the Christ. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, we can ask for God to, we can ask for Jesus Christ to remember us when we understand what he's done. Here in this moment, as he's redeeming all of mankind, he's redeeming this criminal that's right beside him. We're seeing it in a small one-on-one kind of pattern of what he's doing for the entirety of mankind. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. He redeemed this man as he was in the process of redeeming all of mankind. What an insult it would have been for Jesus to turn to the mocker and say, you know, I guess you can join me too. What, d- doesn't that just sit just incredibly wrong inside of your spirit just to suggest that to you? It's one thing of the wor- to be angry with the mockers of the world as they try to espouse a greasy grace. It's another thing altogether for us to make sure that we're examining our own hearts to make sure that we're not acting this way. Here at this church, we're trying to shun the idea of a greasy grace. Before I leave this topic of greasy grace and, and make a turn, I'm not sure what more has to be done for some of us here in this room. If the penalty that should have fallen on you has fallen upon him. The punishment, the bruising, the death that he took upon himself was to liberate you. Why do we walk around as though we are still captives? As if his sacrifice was not enough. We're trying to shun the idea of a greasy grace here. 
And I don't just mean for the world, I mean for us here in the room. I'm asking, I'm beseeching, I'm commanding whatever the right words are as your pastor, as a friend. Every man and woman and child in this room must evaluate your own hearts. You cannot leave an area of your life undone before the Lord. Lest you become a disgrace and you start to trample underfoot the very Son of God. But the opposite of a greasy grace is a lavished love. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. The penalty that should have fallen on you, the penalty that should have fallen on me, it fell on him. What we deserved, he took. What we could not pay, he paid. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, How great is the love of the Father that He has lavished upon us. The things that separated us from Him. The things that that were destroying us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. How in the world can you and I actually be called children of God? How in the world? Except not for His lavish love that He poured out upon us. We couldn't have jumped high enough. We couldn't have run fast enough. We couldn't have gone far enough. And what he did was he liberated us. He took what we deserved and he gave us something so much more. He took the penalty and gave us love. He took the judgment and soared us on eagle's wings. See, when you move beyond just thinking about these things, is some vague concept out in the world somewhere. And you start living like the penalty that he took for you. How could you not be soaring on eagle's wings? We cannot be soaring on eagle's wings regularly because we actually don't contemplate days like today. We forget the horrible pit that we were in and the lavish love that he poured out towards us. See, that's grace. The grace of God which teaches us to say no. Which gives us the power over the sin that's dominated so many. But it can't dominate you anymore. Because His lavish love has been poured out on you. The penalty that should have fallen on you, it fell on Him. And that is what we are. We are children of God. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it didn't know Him either. The reason that you have the adversity that you have is because it didn't... They don't know you and they don't know the Lord that you come from. This lavish love is one that takes us on eagle's wings. But we can't ever neglect, forget, deny, trample the expression of that love, which is his death on the cross. Can you guys help me complete a saying here? He died so that we might die. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. He died so that we might die. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Are you there with me? He himself bore our sins in his body. Weren't you glad that it says that so plainly? There are so many false doctrines that are just clarified right there immediately. Bam. 
He himself bore our sins in his body, that penalty, in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You were right. We do get to live. But first we have to die. See, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and daily follow him, that requires that we die. So that we can live for righteousness. Listen to what Peter is saying here. By his wounds, you have been healed. Does anybody need healing in this house tonight? I don't just mean physically. I know we have physical ailments that are going on in, in our house, in our, in our homes. You got some other wounds that you need to be healed from? By his wounds, does it say you will be healed somewhere in the future? Maybe, kind of? It says that you have been healed. You have been healed. What does that mean? That means you may not see it yet. You may see sickness in this body, but I have already been healed. I may have wounds from sorrows that I've been carrying. I may have some other things that are going on inside of me. I may have even wounded myself by the ridiculousness of my own sin. But I have been healed. If I keep walking around as if I will never be healed, then I'm making a mockery of the insult and the penalty that he's already taken. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned. Somebody say returned. Come on, church. We need to return tonight to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. But pastor, I'm, I'm running after the Lord as hard as I can. Yeah, I'm saying return now. If you were there the last five minutes ago, return to him again. If you were there today, fine, return to him again. The shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Doesn't it sound like Peter's reading from Isaiah 53? Doesn't it sound like he's almost quoting from Isaiah 53? We have to die to our sins. We have to die to our offense. We have to die to our chronic ailments of fear and doubt and impurity. We have to die to those things today. Somebody say today. today. See, this is the day that we celebrate. We commemorate what Jesus did on the cross. See, even before we get to Resurrection Sunday, we can have something that we can do today. Not some other day, not tomorrow, not later on, but today. There are things that need to die in this house. It's not enough to have peace available to you. Praise God, you have peace available to you. It's not enough that it's just available to you if you're not operating in the peace of God. It's not enough to have healing available to you. It's not enough to have community available to you. It's not enough to have the power of God available to you. Because you know what? It is available to you. It's already been won for you. It's already been given to you. You've seen it in this church. You'll come down to the altar and have a touch of God that you might feel His power. It's not enough that it's available to you. You have to walk in it. You have to die to sins and live for righteousness. Do you know why? Because His work on the cross demands it of us doesn't ask it of us. It's not a suggestion to you. It's not a good idea for you to die to your own thought process. It's not a good idea for you to die to your own will. It's not a good idea for you to die to wickedness within your heart. You must die to those things and you must do it today. 
Consider a familiar passage. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. The penalty that should have fallen on you, it fell on him. And because of that, you can have life. Because of that, you can enjoy his lavish love. In Numbers 21, and let's look at verse 6. Are you there with me? It says this, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and when we spoke against you. I'm just going to take just a second to be your pastor. Man. Offense has been something that we've been battling for the last couple of years now. We've talked about it openly. Man, people have even gotten victory over it in this house. But I put it before you again tonight. Are you speaking against what's the Lord, what the Lord is doing in your life, thinking that you're only speaking against mere men? These people had a chance for salvation because they recognized that they were already snake-bitten. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. This sin that is so readily there that we are now acknowledging. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, verse 8, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look to it and live. Do you know what one of the words that came forth tonight during worship? Do you, do you remember what it said? It said that we were supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. We were supposed to look to the great shepherd. We were supposed to look to him. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, that man lived. The parallels are so very obvious, I'm not even going to spend much time on it. We can see the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that was elevated and raised up to a cross, a place higher than any other, so that if we look to Him, we can find life. What a beautiful picture. I'm just going to ask you tonight, have, have you been walking around this week as if you've been snake-bitten? I don't mean one day in the distant past when you were a sinner. I mean now. Have you been snake bitten in your marriages this week? We are fighting so hard to get our marriages in order. And we are going to win. We are fighting so hard to get our, our families in order. We are fighting to get everything about this church in the right order. But have you been walking around as a snake bitten one this week? We're working to identify our naval traits and put them to death. We're working to live like Abigail. And live for righteousness. Come on. The Bible says though that you were like sheep going astray. Were. But you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. See there's incredible hope for us tonight. When we acknowledge and realize that he took the penalty that belonged to us. That he took it upon himself. That penalty that should have fallen to me. That should have fallen to you. It fell upon him. He took it for us. The reason I'm spending time on this is because I want you to acknowledge so that you do not ignore. That you do not trample underfoot what he's actually done for you. See, if you're hearing only condemnation, then that's probably a state, that's a sign of your own heart in this. 
But if what you hear is great hope, that is what I'm wishing and wanting for you tonight. That if he took the penalty, then unless you go and enter into a penalty that has already been paid, there is no reason for you to have to suffer that penalty because he took it for you. You can overcome the offense. You can overcome the wickedness of the arrogance of your own heart. You can overcome in any area that you need to because He has already done the work to set you free. You should hear great hope in this tonight. You should hear that His love is being lavished upon you. Man, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Verse 23. It says this, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is Jesus speaking of? He's speaking of uh, today. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See, we have to die so that we might live. We have to die so that we might live. The man who loves his life will lose it. We've heard this so many times, church. What areas in your life are you in love with, though? Man, that part of your own, making your own decisions. How much of those things do you really just love? I really love this part of my life. Now, I've given the Lord this, but I really, really love this part. I'm kind of proud of myself. I mean, this is kind of snazzy. The man who loves his life is going to lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Boy, doesn't that just put you in the right kind of frame of mind? How can you be arrogant when you're trying to lose your life? You can't. If you're being arrogant and prideful, that means that you're loving your own life and the what you're building. You may hate some of the things that happen, but somehow you still love it. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Nope. Because Jesus knew that the penalty that should have fallen on us, He was running to take it for us. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it, and I'm going to continue to do so. Listen listen to verse 20. Let's go on to verse, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 30. Jesus said, the voice was for Your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The same one who knew no sin, who became sin, had to be made into a bronze serpent and lifted up so that we might fix our eyes upon it. Let's go back to Isaiah 53 just for a second. We're going to get ready to wrap this up. Because I want us to respond at the altar. To talk about this is, is not good enough. Isaiah 53 and verse 11 says this, after he has suffered, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I want to direct your attention if you have a a footnote in your Bible. Here it is again as it's written in the NIV. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. 
Here's what the footnote says in my Bible from the Masoretic text. He will see the result of the suffering of his soul and be satisfied. Are, are, are y'all there with me? He will see the result of the suffering of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus Christ was looking ahead. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Come on, throw it off today, church. you got to throw off the things that hinder. And the sin that so easily entangles you. Come on, can't you really say that? Those pitfalls? Those things that the enemy doesn't even really have to try, just kind of suggest something to you and you get all tangled up in it? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him. His eyes were set on something. His eyes were set on seeing the result of the suffering of His own soul so that He could be satisfied. Consider Him who endured such opposition. Consider Him who took your penalty from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Anybody had trouble with trying to have to work hard not to lose heart this week? Yeah, that's a lot of hands going up. Consider what Jesus Christ did. He poured out His life. Think about some scriptures. We're going to do some rapid fire ones. Just listen to them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Why? Because He was ready to take the penalty that should have fallen on you and should have fallen on me. He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death. It's almost like He poured out His life unto death. Even death on a cross. Second Corinthians verse 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what Peter was saying there? you got to die to sin. Why? So that you can live to righteousness. This is exactly what it's saying in Corinthians. Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us. Uh, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse from us. Taking the penalty. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Romans 8. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. What is he saying? That the problem was not with the law, it was with us. God did, He fixed this problem. He fixed the powerlessness that was there by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He was taking that penalty that should have fallen to you and should have fallen to me. And so He condemned sin in sinful man. Aren't you glad He didn't say that He condemned sinful man? He condemned, He conquered sin in sinful man. Come on, guys. There should be no excuses that we have to allow not even an iota, not even the smallest particle of sin and disobedience in our lives. See, the only way that we can do that is to forget what He did for us on the cross. The only way, wives, that you could be okay to speak to your husbands the way you do is that you actually forgot what He did on the cross. Husbands, the only way 
that you can get away with not leading your family the way you're supposed to is you have forgotten that he took your penalty. Somehow you've gotten comfortable with the fact that you get to enjoy the peace and the life and the joy, but you forgot what you were beforehand. I don't want a single person in this room to be trampling underfoot tonight of what Christ did for us. It was too powerful. It was too amazing. It was too beyond you. It was too beyond me. To treat it with anything other than the the utmost admiration and inspiration. What He did then should power us every day for the rest of our lives. He condemned sin in sinful man. What a glorious statement. In order that the righteous requirements die to sin, live to righteousness. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to this sinful nature, but who live according to the Spirit. See, He didn't eliminate our sinful nature in that in the very first moment that you become a believer, but He gives you the power to not operate in your sinful nature. We die to sin to live for righteousness. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Everyone turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is our last passage of Scripture tonight. It's our last passage of Scripture tonight. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. It says this. To this you were called. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you were called. But what were you called why, why is this why is this able to happen that you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps <laughs> see he's not demanding of us that we do something that he didn't go before us and do he's gone before us he's called us because Christ has already suffered Whatever suffering that you may be going under, it's nothing compared to what He did. I don't want to be like the criminal on the cross that's saying, yeah, why don't you save me too while you're at it? I've suffered as much as you have. I'm, here, I'm sitting here hanging on the cross like you. Don't let wicked thoughts enter and remain in your, in your spirit. You have got to drive those things away. Don't tolerate it for a second. Don't tell me how good you're doing and controlling your thoughts when you've been thinking on things for days. You're conquering your thoughts when it comes into your mind and you crush it in that moment and move right on. That's the standard. Why? Because He was crushed for you. He was pierced for you. To this you were called. An entirely holy, powerful life. Get your thoughts under control. Get your attitudes under control. Get your actions under control. 
To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you. He's already done the suffering. Let's get it out of our mind how much you're suffering and how difficult our lives are. Hey, look at me. Everybody in the room, look at me. Get it out of your head how much you're suffering right now. In comparison to what? In comparison to Him? Yeah, I'm not really suffering at all. Whatever difficulties you may have, you don't even get to count it as suffering. These are light and momentary troubles. They're not even suffering. Why? If you keep going back to that, you know what happens? You start feeling sorry for yourself. You forget to what you were called. This is really tough. I mean, I can't really keep a good attitude. I mean, I can't really honor my husband. I mean, I can't really lead my wife. I can't really get rid of the sin in my life, you know, because it's just tough. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. He made the path for you. That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Listen to this. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Yikes. When he suffered, he made no threats. Do you make threats when you feel like you're suffering? I do. If you cause me pain... Christ did not set that example for us. See the problem with thinking that we're really suffering more than what we really are? Instead, somebody say instead. Instead. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He made, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. That is what you were. You were like sheep going astray. But now, somebody say today, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. My call to you tonight is this, that today you return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. But pastor... Aren't most people in this room saved? Okay. But are you dying to your sins and living to righteousness? That's the question. You were going astray. Come on, are there areas in your life where you're going astray? I know you. I'm your pastor. I'm asking the question to make you think about it. That's why people don't want to do church like we do it. There's a solution to having to being snake bitten in your life. The solution is already provided. Church, in your actions, have you been trampling under your feet the very Son of God? Have you forgotten what He's called you to? Have you become just disappointed enough in your cycle of success and failure that 
you just expect that to be the walk that you have. Few days of success, few hours of failure. Few weeks of success, few days of failure. And that just is what you expect as if Christ hasn't already set the example for you. As as if he hasn't already taken what belonged to you. The penalty that should have been yours, the penalty that should have been mine that was already taken upon him. Have you forgotten that he walked out this journey for us that we are supposed to in every way emulate? Have you forgotten the fact that you're actually called to be more than conquerors? See, we have to do some real soul searching in this place. There are some in here who are broken. And what you need to hear in tonight is that God has already taken the penalty so that you can soar on his wings. That his love is being lavished upon you to help you, to encourage you, to lift you. For others, we are getting to the point where words are not going to be able to to change this. We're running out of time. I don't mean that we as a church are running out of our time. I mean that the Lord's countdown is upon you. We're running out of time. You're running out of time. There has to be drastic changes in our heart. Would you stand with me? Mighty God, we come before you right now. We need sin to die today. We need every bit of sin to die in our lives because of what you have already accomplished. Mighty God, that you would help us tonight. We need to be men and women who are living for righteousness. Lord, help us not to trample underfoot what you have already done for us. Cycles of winning and losing are really not winning at all. That we might examine our hearts now, Lord. That we might examine every part of our lives right now, Lord. You took upon you the penalty that was due for us. How dare we forget that? How dare we trample that underfoot? Lord, you are raising up an overcoming church here at LCM. You are raising up men and women who both abroad and here at this home as pillars, Lord, will stand for righteousness against a flood of dissipation. Tonight, would you move upon us, Lord? Forgive us of our wicked hearts. Forgive us for being so influenced by the attacks of an enemy. Forgive us for thinking that our suffering is anything to compare with what you did in your righteous and just state for us. Help us tonight, Lord, as our hearts cry out to you. Move upon us now, mighty God. Redeem us. Thank you for that work that you have already finished on the cross. May we walk in it rightly, Lord. 
the veil that was torn, the victory that was won, that we may be able to stand in that, that your obedience to even death on a cross was something that marked the example that we should follow. Death so that we might live. Help us to expel any area where we are loving our life instead of loving your life. Lord, we honor you and thank you, God. In Jesus' name.